Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Boy, if this is your first time or one of your first times, appreciate you coming out. Sometimes I know it's hard to step into a new place. If you're joining us online, we appreciate you being with us too. So I swam in high school, um, Hinsdale South, the name's not that important except to say our sister school, Hinsdale Central, was the swimming power in the state. And I think at one point they had won the state championship 14 years in a row. Remember the first time I went to an invitational there, there were two big pictures of the guys who'd won gold medals in the 68 and 72 Olympics, respectively. They were the swim power in the state. And what I found out uh, as I would go to AAU meets is that people who did well, little boys who did well, say it's an eight and under and 10 and under, they'd hold a meet record. About 12 or 13, they'd move. So they were for Lake Forest Swim Club, then about 12 or 13, they'd go to Hinsdale Swim Club because their parents wanted to give them the best chance to succeed so they'd move so they could be in this district to swim under this coach. That meant selling a house. That meant uprooting and leaving friends and moving to another part of Chicago. That meant inconvenience. But they were willing to bear that cost that their child might reach his best in swimming. You know, we're called to follow Christ, and sometimes uh, the cost is similar. We, we we're, have to leave that which is comfortable. It, it may cost us financially. It may cost us friends. It may cost us comfort. Why would we do that? We understood these people moving because they, 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 they wanted their kid to be the, all the swimmer he could be, but, but why would we bear that kind of cost? I think it's worth it, and I want to talk about why this morning. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open that to John chapter 8, as Lindsay mentioned, we'll start in verse 12, and we'll go through verse 30, wrestling with that question, why follow Jesus? Why follow Jesus? Now, if you've been with us these last few weeks, especially last week, you know we finished in, in John 7, 52, and, and we're skipping over John 7, 53 to um, 8, 11, and some of you will have that bracketed in your Bibles. That passage doesn't show up in the earliest manuscripts. I think it reports a true story. Jesus did have this interaction with this adulterous woman. Uh, but it, like I said, it's not in the earliest manuscripts. When it shows up, it shows up in different places. So we're just gonna pass over that passage and pick it up in verse 12. Now John, as we mentioned, uh, walked three years with Jesus in public ministry and he saw things, him do things that thought this is no mere man. This is God in the flesh. And he said, I, I wrote this account down. I wrote it through the centuries that you might read it and believe. So there's no uh, subtlety here, I'm not pulling punches. I'm writing this that you might believe. And believing in Jesus, you might find eternal life. And we've compared John to a prosecuting attorney who was in the business of convicting Jesus of being the Son of God, and he's given us seven signs, and we've seen five. So far he turned water into wine, he healed a noble man's son, he met a man who was a paralytic 38 years, he said, take up your pal and walk, and the guy did. He got caught in a situation where he was teaching a crowd, 5,000 men up to 20,000, and man, we're out of food, and there's no Uber Eats, and there's no high V. and he took five loaves and two fish, and he fed the crowd. Top of that, he walked in the water. John saying, this is no mere man. We're with Jesus last week, he was at the, the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, the most popular feast, and... Um, said then that 
feast was known for a water ceremony, and, and I won't describe it, but, but Jesus claimed to be the fulfillment of that water ceremony by saying, if you believe in me, out of you will flow rivers of living water. Well, there's a second ceremony that's significant in the Feast of Booths, and it's, 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 it's lights. They had four posts, and each, each post had four bowls on them, and they filled them with oil, and at night it just lit up the sky for a week. The light, and Jesus is going to say, I'm the fulfillment of that too, starting in verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them, saying, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will save the light of life. And again, light's a powerful, ever-present metaphor in the Old Testament. And it's significant of God giving life and direction. I mean, you mentioned just a few spots. Maybe... Israel's biggest victory in the Old Testament was they had spent 400 years in slavery and they cried out to God and God called this guy named Moses and he said, you're gonna lead the people out and uh, through Moses, he, he uh, did 10 plagues in Egypt to convince the Pharaoh, you need to let him go. He, he parted the Red Sea. But then they're on their way to the promised land and it's, it's dark in the desert. And how are we gonna see? And God provided light in terms of a fire that went before him. He, he guided their steps. Later, Psalm 119, 105 says, God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In Zechariah 14, he looks forward to the future kingdom. And he says, God will light, there'll be the light of the kingdom. And, and Jesus says, I am the fulfillment of all that. So right off the top, we ask this question. We've talked about the cost and, and what it might cost us to follow Jesus and why would we follow him? Here's what I'd say. Jesus is the light of the world, providing light and direction. Jesus is the light of the world, providing life and direction. And again, I could pick a lot of verses in the, the Bible that talk about the significance of light. Let me, let me land on one in Revelation. It's John, he's gotten a vision, he's been cast, he's been exiled to the island of Patmos and God has given him a vision about the future. And, and this is what he says about the new Jerusalem. He, saw, I, he said, I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And this city, this new Jerusalem where, where heaven will be has no need for the sun or of the moon to shine in it. Why is that? For the glory of God has illumined it. And its lamp is the lamb, the lamb of God. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Jesus said, I'm the fulfillment of that. All this talking about the light of the world, that's me. That's me. The whole Testament points to me and especially with this metaphor. Well, the, the Jewish leadership picks up on that and they're not gonna take that sitting down. So again, they challenge him, verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Well, what does that mean? Well, in the Jewish law, you had to have more than one witness. And they said, you're a witness alone. If you were with us in John 5, we went through this, that Jesus faced the same challenge. He said, you know, I'm, I'm not alone in my testimony. John the Baptist testified of me being the son of God. Uh, my works testified to me being the son of God. God the Father testifies to me being the Son of God. The Scriptures, the Old Testament, by the way, testify to me being the Son of God. Yeah, and even Moses, who you claim to follow, he testified about me being the Son of God. So I don't stand alone in this. Uh, 
Verse 14, Jesus talks about his, his unique origin, his unique destiny. You're not gonna get me because I'm from someplace and going someplace that, that you've never been. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I come from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I am going from or where I am coming where I come from, or where I'm going. I worked campus ministry for 15 years before I became a pastor. I remember in this one situation, a, a young lady, she was a freshman in our ministry, uh, was dating a guy who was a senior in high school. And she came up to the school dating him, and about halfway through the first semester, she broke up. And, and she said this, to, she says, Andy, I understand his world but he doesn't understand mine. He's not been to college. College is different than high school. And it's just not, that's a little bit of what Jesus is saying here. I I go and and I come and and, and you don't understand, you haven't been where I wasn't and where I'm going. So there's a disconnect here. Verse 15, Jesus questions their judgment. He says, you judge according to the flesh. I'm not judging anyone and implied that is according to the flesh. So, so I don't fit your rubric. You, you're trying to get a handle on me with, with your own value system. It doesn't work because I'm God. So as I usually do, today I was out there greeting at the West Doors. And one of the things I like is just how, how friendly people are with each other at North Point. And so when people come in, they, they offer a handshake or, or maybe a half hug. And that's, that's a, a warm greeting. But you know, if you and I were to take that greeting to Chile and South America, you know what the people would think? You're really, really cold. You're really, really cold. Because that's not how they greet down there. Woman to woman and man to woman, you take their hand and you touch your right cheek and you kiss the air. Then you touch the left cheek, kiss the air. Now, if I were to bring that greeting back to North Point, <laughs> you say, maybe we need another pastor. <laughs> What's a warm, what's an appropriate greeting? It's cultural, isn't it? And what's true there isn't true here. That's a little bit. Jesus said, you know, you're trying to get a handle on me to, by, by your own system. It's not going to work. I've been saying all along, I'm the son of God, and until you accept that, you're, you're going to struggle in your own system to figure me out. Now, verse 15 doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't judge, so he corrects that. He says, but even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I'm not alone in it, but I and the Father who sent me. So again, he's claiming that he and the Father are one. He does nothing without him, and the judgment he renders are the same judgment that God the Father renders. Verse 17, 18, he said, even if your law, even your law has been written that the testimony of two men are, is true, I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. So there's my, my two witnesses. Notice he says, your law. Jesus is saying he's got a different law than the Jews? Is, it, is he operating from a different system? No, 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 no. No, they're both operating from the Old Testament, But the Jews have corrupted it because they haven't understood the whole Old Testament points to the coming of Jesus. What they've done is they've taken the principles out of it and they've added 640 precepts and they made it this legalistic system that this is what you do. You've corrupted it. 
So in Jesus saying, in that sense, it, it's your law. It ain't my law. Because my law points to the grace of God that is completed in me. Uh, so Jesus said, I and the Father are one. He testifies about me. So they were saying to him, verse 19, where's your father? Jesus answered, you neither know me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. So Jesus has been saying all along, you're not going to get me because you're not submitted to God's will. Ultimately, you're not committed to doing God's will. You're gonna do your own thing. So you're not going to ever understand me. Until you're submitted to God, I'm gonna fly right over your head. We understand that in school, don't we? There's prerequisites, right? You can't take algebra two until you've taken algebra one. You're never gonna understand what's going on in algebra two until you get the material of algebra one. So it is with Jesus. You're never gonna get him until you say in your heart, I am committed to doing God's will over my own will. Then the ground is set for, well, maybe this, maybe this one is of God, and maybe he does have authority. But if you and I are living in the idea of we're gonna submit to God, we're not gonna submit to Jesus. Jesus said, you're not gonna get me. Uh, verse 20 gives us the, the context. He said, these words he spoke in the treasures as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. That tells us he's teaching the temple. I mean, there's already plans to arrest Jesus. There's already plans to execute him. But they won't happen until God says, it's time. Then he said again to them, I go away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. This is a repeated warning. Jesus told him before, he's going away. But this time it gets a little bit more dire. He said, you're gonna die in your sin. What sin in particular is that? Is that unbelief. He says, you will seek me. Well, what are they, what is, what's he talking about? They're gonna keep seeking a Messiah. If you look at Jewish history at this time, it was full of would-be Messiahs who came along and, and one after another they followed him. And, and Jesus said, I'm gonna go away and you're gonna keep looking and you're never gonna find it. Because the true Messiah's come and gone and, and you missed it. So imagine you get a, a new appliance and you're putting the thing together and as you're doing this, a critical part, boop, without you knowing, drops in the trash. You end up taking the trash out and, and you're going through and you get to the end and you realize, I can't find that part. Can't find that part. Where is it? And you start scouring the area. I mean, you're turning furniture upside down. You're emptying out cushions, and you're you're doing things. But you know what? You're never going to find that part because it went out with the trash. That's a little bit of what the Jews. I mean, they're going to be looking for. Are, are you the Messiah? We got no. You're done. How about you? You and, and you're going to be chased. Whatever. You're never going to find it because he came and he left and you missed it. He went out. He's gone. When Jesus. Talks about them keep seeking. That's what they keep seeking. And a Messiah, and they're going to come up short. So once again, when Jesus says going away, the Jews don't understand him. So the Jews were saying, verse 22, surely he will not kill himself. That's what they're thinking. He's going to commit suicide. He's going to go away. Will he? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. Again, Jesus, they don't get him. He tries to put it another way, and he's saying to them, you're from below, I'm from above. You're of this world, I am not of this world. We're looking two different realms here. 
You're from below. You're from the creation. You're from the rebellion. I'm from above. I'm the creator. I'm the one submitted to God. Until you allow me to do work and change you and move you from one realm to another, it's not going to compute. It's, it's not going to work. It's not going to function. So when I went off to college a long time ago, there were no personal computers. And so when you need to do computer work, there were big mainframe computers. And you'd have to go to the computer room. The College of Business had a big mainframe computer. The College of Engineering had a big mainframe computer. So then I was an engineering student. I went to the College of Engineering, and, and uh, we were doing punch cards back then. So you'd do a program, and you'd type out your punch cards, and you make sure, don't get them out of order, because you put them in out of order, that's bad. And then you'd put your cards in, and they'd push the reader, and it would read those things, and then you get a printout. Hopefully, you didn't make any errors because if you did, then it's a syntax error, logic error. The printout would say, and you have to go figure out which card it was, and so, so it went. So my junior year, second semester, they decide we're moving forward. We are done with punch cards. We're done with punch cards. At the end, we're making a transition. It will all be terminals. At the end of the semester, punch cards won't work. Well, there were people who had done programs and they came back that fall wanting to run their punch cards and guess what not gonna work punch cards don't work here anymore that that, that was, it was a different realm but 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 my punch cards the, the logic's good yeah, no 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 they, they don't work see see we're that's what she's saying you're, you're in a different realm and I, I need to do a work and that starts with you allowing me to change you from the inside out and move you to a place you can't go on your own until you do that, you're stuck with punch cards, and we're in a different realm. Verse 25, so they're saying to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, what have I been, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? Man, I've been saying this over and over and over again, and you're not hearing. I have been saying I'm the eternal son of God. I've shown you works. I've got the testimony of others. And you won't listen. And we keep going over the same ground over and over and over again. So last year after Christmas, Hope and I went down to San Antonio and visited a college friend of mine. Um, he went to med school and he spent 30 years in the army. He was an OB. He did high-risk OB and he had retired, and so he was doing stuff on the side, and so it was a fun time to see him. But if I asked him, I said, What's kind of one, what are some of the frustrations of being a doctor? He said, hey, the thing that kills me is somebody will come in, like they're, maybe they're showing signs of, of diabetes in pregnancy. So there's, we, need, we need to medicate that. We need to take this, and so write this prescription and, and get this prescription filled and, and take this medication. And they come back, and, they, and they've got the same symptoms. Well, are you taking, have you taken your medication? Well, yeah, no, well, yeah, you, you know, until you take the medication, we're gonna, we're gonna be going over and over and over this again. And they, they come back to me a few weeks later, yeah, have you taken your medication? Well, some of the time, yeah, but, well, you know, I mean, we, 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 we've got a solution here, but, it, but until you're willing to, well, that's what we got with Jesus. We're getting rhetorical. I, he said, I've said this from the beginning. We're over. And, and I tried to put it different ways. You know, you're of a different realm. I'm from above. You're from below. I, I, I try. You, you want witnesses? I got witnesses for you. But at some point, you have to take me at my word. 
on the Son of God, the eternal Son of God. Jesus goes on, verse 26, I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these things I speak to the world. Jesus said, I got more to say, but it's falling on deaf ears. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. They're missing it. So Jesus said, here's when it's going to be all clear. When you lift up the Son of Man, lifting up means his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me, and he has not left me alone. Listen to what Jesus says. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. That's quite a statement. Everything I do is pleasing to God. I wonder, could you say that? Last 24 hours of your life? I can't. I can't. And Jesus will get more uh, bold with this. We'll go on next week, John 8, 46. This, this argument will heat up. This, these opponents will heat up. And we'll get to some point where Jesus will say, uh, which one of you finds any sin among me? That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? I mean, I wouldn't say to the people I loved, let alone opponents. But, but Jesus lived a perfect life and was the perfect sacrifice to die for us. The result, verse 30, as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. Believe what? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and in him you might have eternal life. So that's interesting about those folks, but you know what's more critical? What do you believe? Because John's writing to you, and he's writing to me. The Spirit of God put it in him. And he, and he hasn't, been, hasn't pulled punches. He hasn't been deceptive. He said, I'm writing that you might believe. And in believing in him, you might have eternal life. Have you come to believe? Believe what? That Jesus died, was born on, for a purpose, and lived for a purpose, and, di- and died for a purpose by the design of God lived a sinless life. Why? Because you and I rebelled against God. We did our own thing our own way. He was spotless. Died in our sin and certified dead on a Friday. Rose again on Sunday morning. That you might have eternal life. That's what, that's what John's been talking about. Have you ever come to put your faith in him? If not, now might be a good time to do it. To trust in Christ. Some of you say, well, Andy, I've done that. That's great. When we talked about Jesus, we talked about Jesus being the light and the life. He's the one who gives us direction. So I want to ask those of you who are followers of Christ, how do you make decisions? What informs your decision? Jesus is saying he's making himself known in his well known through the Bible. That's why we talk about it every Sunday. And to the believer, he gives his Holy Spirit that that, might, that word might come alive and he gives value and he gives direction and maybe not specifics, but at least generalities on how to make decisions. I'm wondering, how do you, how do I make decisions? Where does this come in? to how we choose to spend our money, where we spend our time, when we buy a house, when we decide to move, when we take another job. God wants to speak into that. He's the light of the world. He's giving direction. He's a path, a light unto our feet, and a lamp unto our path. 
well, Andy, I seem to make decisions just fine without the Word of God. So several years ago, I was getting into technology, you know, and, and I, I wasn't quite, I didn't have a smartphone yet, but I had heard about Google Maps, and you could put in a destination, then you could print out directions, so I did that. I was going to Raymond Central High School to visit somebody. So I put that in there, and I followed the directions, and I don't end up there. I end up, I realize I end up, end up in the center of Raymond. I wasn't too far off, but I was far off. And I, and I look back and I realize what happened is autocorrect made that central Raymond. So, so the, the, the directions guided me directly, but they didn't get me to where I wanted to go. We have a culture that will guide you and it will give you direction, but you're not going to get where you want to go, at least not where the Bible and God. And Jesus said, I came that you might have fullness of life. You're not going to get that. I'm not going to get that, allowing culture and their values and priorities to direct us. We want to end up where God wants us to end up? Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. I'm a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Would you allow him and his spirit to direct you? I don't think there's anybody more, more trustworthy than Christ. The movie We Were Soldiers tells about the U.S. first major engagement in the Vietnam War. Uh, they were under the command in Fort Benning, Georgia of Lieutenant Hal Moore. They got shipped over to South Vietnam and they got dropped into this area. And it became quickly apparent that intel had not been correct and there were a lot more North Vietnamese troops than were anticipated. And initially the battle was going badly for the U.S. And they kept helicoptering people in. And Lieutenant Colonel Moore is trying to deploy his soldiers and give commands. And I mean, we are using napalm. We're using all kinds of stuff. And somebody says, uh, Colonel, there's someone on the phone that wants to talk to you. And he is, I, I'm trying to run a battle here. And, and he gets on the phone. And basically, it's somebody from HQ headquarters saying, hey, you know, we missed our call on this. We, we could helicopter you out. Helicopter me out and leave my soldiers. And he slams the phone down. He said, I will not leave my soldiers. Because he had made a promise to those men when they went into the battle. He said, I will be the last one off the battlefield. Dead or alive, everybody will be removed before I step on that helicopter out. Well, it turns out he stayed and in a daring raid. They, they defeated the Vietnamese and, and they won the battle. But he's unwilling to abandon his soldiers. Why would you follow Jesus? Because that's a little bit of a picture of Jesus. He's unwilling to abandon you. There was an option to walk away from the cross, but he, he wouldn't hear of it. Here's the difference, though, in my example. Lieutenant Colonel Hal Moore lived. Jesus did not, and he knew he wouldn't. He died for you and for me. So my question is, why wouldn't we let the light of the world, given that's his character, give us life and guide our path? That we take hold of that light and let him give us life and let him give us direction. Would you pray with me?
Our Father in heaven, we're grateful that Jesus is the light of the world. He gives light. He gives direction. It's a bold claim. Light is a metaphor throughout the Old Testament. But Jesus said, I'm that. I'm everything the Old Testament pointed towards. Lord, do we take hold of this Savior and let him give us light. Let him give us direction. I ask this in your name. Amen.